Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good. Re- getting ready for a big weekend, Conrad. I'm doing good. Pumped up, ready to roll. I think everybody's fired up, man. All of a sudden, All Out is the hottest ticket around. Uh, people are excited to see CM Punk back in the ring against Darby Allen. Of course, we've also got Christian Cage and Kenny Omega going to hook up and a whole host of other big time main events. Uh, it's going to be a fun weekend if you're an AEW fan. Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a good weekend, and tickets are selling well. I think uh, we're sold out of the pay per view on Sunday. Oh yeah, a lot of stuff going on in Chicago. Depending on when you're hearing this broadcast, you know, uh, Dynamite Live on uh, Wednesday night there, and then uh, uh, our other our Friday night show Rampage on, baby, come on, Rampage will air on uh, Friday night. Ironically. And so that'll be fun. It'd mean, be live, live, live. Nothing could go wrong. They say, so it's a busy weekend and, and Conrad, you've got, uh, adfreeshows.com has got a pretty busy weekend as well. Absolutely. Our top guys are going to be celebrating. We've got a whole host of events and, uh, including some double top secret special surprises. We're pretty excited about, but Chicago is the place to be this weekend. So make plans to join us if you can. Uh, it's going to be a fight and I guess everywhere else you enjoy pay-per-view for all out, man, this is probably going to be another pay-per-view record for you guys. I think it has a chance. No doubt. Uh, there's so much momentum going into the event. It would lend one to assume that it would be better than, than, uh, previous, uh, pay-per-views. So I hope it is, you know, that's the idea. A lot of people are working very hard, uh, to help build that momentum. I think the inclusion of CM Punk has been, uh, extraordinary. Not that we thought that that shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, so, uh, Tony Khan's on a roll with his hires and, and, uh, pending hires and all those things, apparently. So it's an uh, interesting days lie ahead. And it's very interesting to see how this pay-per-view is going to, what's going to happen at the end of the day. You know, uh, I don't know what people expect, you know, I don't, it's hard to, it's hard to judge the audience anymore on some things that they like or they don't like, but one thing we know that the audience is still very opinionated and, uh, I don't know that that's a bad thing. It's no matter how you perceive it and how you take it. I'm fired up about it. You know, I think Chicago is one of my favorite towns to watch wrestling in. And I think, uh, it's going to be one incredible week. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into <laughs> maybe a less than awesome time. September 5th, 1991 is when clash of the champions 16 went down. This is the very first fall brawl. I can't believe this is real. We're at the 30 year anniversary of the fall brawl, but of course, eventually fall brawl is going to become synonymous with the war games event. That is not the case here in Augusta, Georgia, Uh, but 1991 WCW is always interesting to talk about because it feels like there's a bunch of talent, but boy, it's just not arranged the right way. (laughs) We're going to talk into the in depth about that today. But when you and I sort of looked at the roster before we clicked record this morning, ton of talent, but the matches on this show in particular, woof, we weren't going to be uh, selling a lot of anything here in 91 in WCW. No, nobody was hot. There's no great momentum going. There's no momentum. Like we're discussing about AEW right now, uh, that would compare to what we're seeing in WCW at that time. It was a uh, kind of an embarrassment be honest with you, when you look back at it all these years, cause you look on that roster and as you alluded to, there's a lot of great talent. Uh, it's just a matter of leadership 
and having someone put them all in a position to do their best work. And I don't, I know that we didn't do that. Let's, uh, let's give some context. To what's happening on the other channel. Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan are working house show loops for the very first time. Of course, Ric Flair has left world championship wrestling. Now he's joining up with the world wrestling federation. Meanwhile, the ultimate warrior has just been fired at SummerSlam, which is a pretty famous story now. Uh, and, uh, the name Zahorian is becoming more and more prevalent as it looks like the WWF is going to have a steroid issue on their hands. So what are things looking like for WCW? Well, not that great. The observer would write they're prepping for clash of the champions from Augusta, Georgia. And one of which may have been a hand in determining the future of the clash specials. There's been talk that if the show doesn't do well in the ratings, TBS programming is seriously considering dropping the planned November clash and future clashes, you know, clash of the champions are something I look back at as a fan and I look back fondly and just remember the good moments and the big shows and the special times like that very first one with flair and sting, but you were there. Take us back in your time machine to 1991. Do you remember Turner maybe not being thrilled with the, the, the numbers that the clash was producing? You know, we did get a lot of communication on that. You'd get secondhand. I don't know what Turner's thinking. Cause none of us talked to Turner. They talked to some emissary, some sycophant, Bill Shaw's of the world guys like that. So, uh, and the, and the, uh, whoever's in charge that week, they'd share the news. Like it was a big deal. I, I talked to Ted. Uh, then when I talked to Ted, Hey, did you hear the talk we had with Ted? No, I didn't hear the talk he had with Ted. Uh, so it kept everybody in the dark and it kept everybody paranoid. Just what pro wrestlers like. They like being in the goddamn dark and, and being paranoid or it seems to me that way. So, uh, in any event, uh, we, it didn't take a genius. You have to have an MBA to figure out if we don't go to uh, our business model, doesn't improve. Uh, then we're going to be in trouble and we got a television show. We produce weekly, a lot of money to do that. And it's not drawing, it's not getting a rating worth of shit. So no, I don't know that we kept it. it we knew, I mean, if you had any brains, you'd know that this is not going well. And if it continues to go, not well, we'll be all out of work. The rumor in innuendo is that TBS actually rejected the first version of the card. Uh, that WCW presented because allegedly it didn't have sting or Lex Luger on it. And TBS was concerned that it was doomed ratings wise without those two guys. I have to admit that's not something I had ever heard until I, I did my research this week. Do you remember there being, we'll call them notes from TBS at any point about what should or shouldn't be on the program. Again, Conrad, it would not go to the booking committee. It didn't come to Jr. It didn't come to. It came to whoever's in charge and then they, they, uh, treasured that information as if they were special. It was ridiculous. So no, I didn't, I didn't see any notes, but how in the hell, how smart you got to be to figure out if you have your top two stars on your show, it's not going to get the rating you want. Right. From, from a, uh, a traditional booking mentality, chat me up about the big gold belt. When flair left, he took the belt with him. And now these days it probably isn't as big of a deal. Maybe. But back then, was this considered to be doom and gloom and the old Bill Watts mentality? No. You guys that love belts and have this uh, affinity for, for titles. And there's a lot of guys that, that like you, that collect you know, real cool artifacts and memorabilia, including belts. 
I'd never been one of those guys. If I had asked for a belt, uh, all through the years that I was in the business, how many belts you think I'd have in this house? All of Tons them. Of, yeah, yeah. All of them. But it's just, it never, and I'm not knocking those that, like yourself that like them. It's just not my thing. Uh, so I never perceived that as a huge issue. It was made into a huge issue by, uh, uh, the, you know, insiders and everybody, but it never was a big issue to me. I, I, I respected the title, it's, you know, but again, you got to understand it's a prop, you know, you didn't go win it. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I, I hear that in theory, but the, the, the Walt Disney of wrestling, you screwed one of the biggest stars he ever had because he didn't want his belt showing up on nitro. So it's a little hard for me to swallow that. You didn't think that this was a significant story and it only mattered to collectors like me. Well, you swallowed it or not. I don't give a shit if you swallow it or you don't swallow it. But the bottom line is I, I didn't, the belt was not a big deal to me. And that's going to be contrary to what you think, because you're a belt guy and that's cool. I wasn't, it was a prop. Have another one made next week. So in your opinion, just a sidebar, you know, the, the, the WWF title showing up on nitro was not a factor to Vince McMahon. Oh, I'm sure it was. Why? It's just a prop. Why not just make another one? I don't know. You have to ask Vince. I don't know. I don't know. Conrad. I think much was made of it than, than should have been. It was a symbol. And the symbol that represented WCW was then exploited on the enemy's television. And that's about a story. It could have been another symbol. could have been something else, but it was the belt. And I just didn't, I, uh, again, when you're in that, when you're not, when you're not sitting on the outside, looking in and, and analyzing all this stuff, then, then it uh, becomes a little more clear that you got, you get, you get tons of work to do. And we did. And so I just never got really into it. I had to prioritize my time to do my work and my work. Wasn't, uh, the belt search or the belt topic or whatever. That was just to piss off people. And it worked obviously. Well, you've, uh, you've been nothing. If not consistent, the observer quoted you or was talking about you back then. Uh, Jim Ross has been adamant on his talk show about putting the flare situation behind them, talking about the present and the future but it's still the leading topic of conversation on his show and at many arenas. I mean, obviously flair jumping ship is huge news, that's, but that's to, huge, to your point, flair yeah. is different than the belt. And you can hear Jim in context on studio sessions over at adfreeshows.com. Well, with, with a little help from our friend, Mr. Dennis Brent, we've been able to locate a lot of those old radio shows and uh, they're available for you now on adfreeshows.com. I'm curious though, you know, you were really one of Jim Hurd's only allies at a time where it felt like he didn't have a lot of fanfare. Would, would he ever come to you when, when this thing got real sideways with flair and say, boy, Jimmy, I really fucked this up. No, well, he'd, he'd confided in me sometimes, but you know, I knew it wasn't going very far. Right. Uh, the reason I was a confidant or whatever the hell you said, because I'm the only one member of the booking committee, Conrad, that still lived in Atlanta. Right. I was handy. I was convenient. I was there. And so at the, when everybody else had to rush there, they're get on their planes to go home at three o'clock in the afternoon after putting in a hard four hours of, of work or whatever, and the plus including lunch, uh, then, then he'd, he'd have more questions. He'd have more concerns. He was looking for knowledge and information. And so other than Barnett, Jimsy, 
there was nobody there that could cons consult him in that in that regard onto that level. So I was, I was, uh, allied to Jim Hurd by default, by geography. And I didn't hate the guy. I find it really ridiculous to hate somebody you work with, uh, and have to work with them every day. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, but he, the belt was a big topic, you know, there was because of the symbolism of it, mm -hmm. but it paled in comparison to flare lead. Of course, flare lead was the money uh, in this topic. Something that's interesting that's happening on the house shows in this era is the television title being held by Steve Austin. And as a reminder, the TV title is on the only on the line for the first 10 minutes. And then after that, the title is no longer up for grabs. So it's allowing Austin to lose the match. Once it goes past the 10 minute mark without changing the title. I've always loved that stipulation. Do you think that's something that could work today, Jim? Oh, it might, it might. Well, if it was well explained to the audience, uh, it wasn't a bad idea. I find in today's world, uh, the more convoluted you get, the more pushback you also get. So I don't know, Conrad, it's, it's not a bad idea. And, 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 you know, here's the thing you can see on this card, every they're trying different things and there was a panic set in, you can, you don't, you don't try to revitalize multiple talents on the same show. You just don't who's over. You're not getting anybody over when you do it that way. Uh, but you do have to have a plan. So there's a plan in place here on the show, this format, but it was, uh, too little, too late. And, and it's, uh, the irony is that you've got some of the established talents that fans were aware of and knew, and all you want to do is put a new coat of paint on them. And think there'd be somebody different. Uh, I don't believe in that personally. So I understand the concept of why it was just the wrong method. The methodology was not cool in the, uh, to re repackage. Uh, we needed new talents. We need new bodies. We need somebody young and hot to get hot. So we got Austin as, and who knew the, how big Austin was going to get. Right. Some of us thought we knew, but, uh, we had the talent. I'll debate anybody for as long as anybody chooses to breathe that we had, we had the talent to be good. They were just in the wrong positions. Let's talk briefly about Nikita Koloff. His contract is going to be expiring at the end of September, and there's no agreement for him to continue. Uh, and I believe his plan was I'll just focus on my gym. Uh, he had recently opened a gym in uh, North Carolina, but he is going to come back in 92, but it's February. So not too long. Um, was, was Nikita just frustrated with creative? Was it, I mean, it always comes down to the two C's, right? Were you in contact with him in this era about why he was going to move on? I think he's burned out and it wasn't the fun and games. It was at one time, it wasn't the, the, uh, uh, the amount of private aircraft. It wasn't the great big houses. It wasn't the fact that everybody's motivated. The more you sell, the more you make, uh, that's a great concept. It works in many walks of life. Uh, and, uh, he could see that the, the foundation of the business model was eroding and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, disappearing. So it wasn't as much fun and the, and it was inevitable that the money was going to become an issue. You can't have a business that's on the decline and, and expect raises and things. Uh, so, and, and the, and the house shows 
we had house shows, as you know, but they didn't matter. They were good. They didn't make you, you know, you draw 15, 1800 people somewhere. There ain't enough money there to go around to pay the rent. Yeah. Much less get everybody extra money in their pocket for making the house show. <clears throat> so I think that he was just burned out, you know, and I never, I, I always communicated well with Nikita, but, and I had a lot of respect for him. But to say that I, I wasn't in a tight relations position at that time. I was just a member of a committee that was dysfunctional as hell. And, uh, uh it was what that was. So I didn't talk to him a lot, but I, I know that he, he might've been a little spoiled. Think about when he came in the business Oh yeah, and then the position he was put in, then think about the untimely accident of Magnum TA. And then, uh, him taking Magnum's place in, in the babyface uh, roll call. Uh, he was, what he was built, he was made and those made days are over. So I think probably he got a little, you know, uh, disillusioned and said enough's enough. Sting's going to win the U S title in a tournament held at the Omni. And he's going to beat Steve Austin in the finals to win it. Uh, it draws 5,000 fans to the Omni only $38,000 at the gate. Business is just down all around and it does bring up. I think a, a natural follow-up question. Do you remember there being any discussions about trying to bring the warrior in here in 91? I mean, he's just been fired by Vince McMahon. It's headline news everywhere. You just lost flair. Does anybody think, Hey man, maybe this is the shot in the arm we need. Or was there another line of thought line of thinking? Well, it might've been casually discussed, but I don't remember it being a major topic of discussion. Or a meeting. Hey, we got to meet, talk about the warrior. Uh, any of the guys that are on the card or the committee were, uh, fully aware of how hard he was to manage and a high maintenance guy. And nobody wanted any part of that. Uh, now you might have somebody like a Barnett or somebody or heard could just see the sizzle and not look up, not look behind, peel the onion back and see what you're actually hiring. Right. They may have thought it was a quick fix and this will solve our problems. And that would just create more problems, in my opinion. So, uh, but I don't think it was ever discussed seriously, Conrad, to any degree. I'm sure at some point in time, somebody may, Hey, what about the warrior? We get the warriors available. So, but I don't think anybody ever had a serious conversation about that. So there's, uh, some interesting house show numbers, August 29th at the Meadowlands drew 1800. August. Okay. Let's, let's figure something out here. Just to so you get a feel for this $1,800, right? 1800 paid. So 1800 fans. Okay. So, uh, let's say average ticket was what? 20 bucks at most 36, uh, $36,000 house. Yep. Okay. The, the main event guys got uh, by historically have gotten 3% of the net after taxes. So you got a $36,000 gross. You deduct the taxes. Let's say that's 10%. I'm just throwing a number out there. Cause I don't know. Let's say now you're down to, to uh, 30 grand. So you pay the main events, main event. And everybody thought they're in the main event because nothing was drawn. Right. It's kind of ironic. It's kind of stupid. I wouldn't want my hands in that tar baby. Uh, so. Then you get 3% of that. So let's say, so your pay that night, if you just paid off the house was, uh, what would it be three grand? And all of a sudden 
within about two pay two pays out of that, that talent pool, you don't have any money left. I mean, nothing, but you got to pay. So you got to pay everybody something yeah. for making the trip. So you give them, you know, that, uh, they would get, I don't know what they all, what they got. I didn't do that, but the, you know, in my days at WWE, they would get like, nobody got less than 500 bucks. Uh, you know, even on a stinker, even if you're even a referees. So everybody got paid something to keep them happy. Cause then we, we made it back on the big shows. There are plenty of big shows to do, but there was no plenty of big shows here. That's exactly this right. Is what, this is what we had. And there was no money to be paid. So guys like Nikita Koloff, who saw that the handwriting on the wall, there's no money here. So I could either stay on the road and travel and put up with all this, uh, consternation and drama, or I can, uh, back away from it for a while, get rid of the stress and just focus on my, my business, which was the gym. You know, we should mention as crazy as it sounds, uh, after this show on the 29th of the Meadowlands that does 1800, which Jim just broke down for you the next day they're in Philadelphia and they draw 650 fans. Yeah. It's embarrassing. And, and this we is, should, we, we should not even have been on the road, Conrad, no. because we're, we're losing money by going on the road. Remember these men and women and people traveling had to get there. Hello. And that would be a, a, a ticket, which were, would cost you some cash. So it was a loser before you, before you even left Atlanta, the house is going to lose. It's just not a matter. Is it going to lose money? Sure. It's going to lose money. The question is how much money is it going to lose? And that's a, as a business person, you can understand this better than most. That's not a world you want to work in where, you know, you're losing money today, but you just don't know how much you're losing. That's not a, that's unsettling as hell. So that's kind of, we, we should have at the end of the day, focused on television vignettes, uh, things that you get talent over, build the brands, build the individual brands of the wrestlers and let that, and let that grow. And we had plenty of hours of television to do that. My God, we had a show on Friday night. We had a show on Saturday after Saturday, TVS still, we had a show on Sunday night. We had syndication. We had plenty of hours of television to expose the talent and in, in the right way. And that was never done because there were way too many cooks in the kitchen and everybody had a, a dog in a race or a dog in the hunt, whatever you want to say. And it was all politics and it was all, and it was horrible. Hey guys, are you looking for a great father's day gift idea? I know I was, and I found it a couple of years ago with paint your life. With Paint Your Life, you get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mom, your dad, or both. You see, Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload a photo to create anything you can imagine, maybe in a special location or a favorite pet. There's lots of options. You pick the artist, the medium, and you even get to work with the artist to make sure it's perfect. You get started in less than five minutes and you can get the portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Text the word Ross to 87204. That's Ross to 87204. Text Ross to 87204. 
Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. It's unbelievable, but the hits keep coming the next day, August 31st, they're in Baltimore. Kids got in for 54 cents and there's 2,500 folks in attendance, 54 cents, September 1st in Norfolk draws 1800. Even Meltzer chimes in. He says, I don't know how long this company can continue to operate in this manner. They've gone long since past the critical point and are approaching a comatose position. And the doctors in charge of this patient seemingly are doing nothing, but <laughs> sitting there waiting for a slow, brutal death, a whole scale change of battle plans is needed. And all we keep seeing is more of the same, but only worse. Uh, he would also say, uh, although WCW officials are denying there was ever a plan to use the hunchbacks, there definitely was since Kevin Sullivan was asked to be one of them. I don't know <laughs> what the status of them is right now, but Jim Ross denied there were ever plans to do the gimmick. Uh, this has been a, a joke that has gone around for a long time that I guess was born out of a booking meeting that Jim Hurd attended and supposedly he pitched, well, what if we had a pair of hunchback wrestlers that way they couldn't be pinned. Their shoulders would never touch the mat. And I think someone in the meeting said, well, they would just submit. I, I think it might've been me. Yes. I got my ass shoot out for it. I said, what about submitting? He goes by submission. <laughs> he said, God damn it. You spoil everything. You spoil everything. With that goddamn logic of yours. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, wrestling fans are, uh, you know, they, 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 they know what's going on. Give them credit. Uh, but it was ridiculous, quite frankly. And it never saw the light of day. We did, we did get, did we get the ding dongs? There were ding dongs. Yes, sir. They, they worked on television. I think right? they did. Yes, sir. Yeah. So the, it was in that trail of ridiculous ideas was where the hunchbacks, but heard probably thought about it all weekend. Mr. Heard and this limited knowledge of uh, pro wrestling and what was going to work creatively. He probably thought he had a hell of an idea until it was doo-dooed on, uh, at, uh, at the booking meeting. Kevin Sullivan is uh, much like Nikita. He's going to leave when his contract expires. Um, Kevin Sullivan is a guy who I've often wondered, why did he never get a shake in the WWF? I mean, supposedly he was the mastermind behind quote unquote booking heat for the NWO. And for whatever reason, he never worked with the McMahon clan in any idea why that would have been, or wouldn't have been. I, I don't know. I don't, I've never heard Vince say one word about Kevin, yay or nay. Uh, he may have had a cup of coffee with him as a, as a real young guy. He's, he was living in Boston. Right. I'm not sure about that, but I would be surprised. He's a young guy getting started. He had a chance to work a underneath match at a house show or something or do some enhancement work on television. But I don't know if there's a specific reason. Kevin had a lot of contacts and, you know, he was, uh, good conversationalist, good communicator. So he had a lot of, he had a lot of contacts he could call upon. 
that he might have had more fun doing. And he worked in Florida awful lot. And after living here for a year or so now myself, you know, I can see where a guy can get very used to the weather and like it. Well, we know that, uh, this show is not going to be great. The readers of the wrestling observer gave it 25.2% thumbs up 64.9% thumbs down and 9.9% thumbs in the middle. It's at the Richmond County civic center there in Augusta, Georgia. We've got 2,800 fans for a $28,000 gate. And we start the show with a battle Royale, which, uh, I think every wrestler hates. Um, Meltzer Have you been calling it a battle Royale all your life or a battle Royal <laughs> battle Royal, but I'm trying to make it feel special. with clash of the champions and Eligante's in it. So we need all the yeah. help we can get. Yeah, we do that in AEW. It's a battle Royale. There's going to be a women's battle Royale. <laughs> it's a battle Royal in Alabama, but I'm trying to class the joint up a little bit. All right. Well, whatever. So we've got, uh, the Georgia brawl is what it's nicknamed. Uh, they're going to go nine minutes and 33 seconds. Unbelievably, Eligante is going to clothesline both one man gang and Oz over the top rope. Oz, that's right. Kevin Nash, uh, Meltzer would say this match had no organization or story to it. Just a bunch of guys throwing punches back and forth, waiting for their time to go over the top in order of elimination. It was Terrence Taylor, big Josh and Ranger Ross going out together at four 35. Thomas rich at five minutes, Tom Zink and Sergeant buddy Lee Parker at five Oh four. The Southern boy, Tracy went out at five 52, uh, Bobby Eaton at seven minutes, P and news at seven 19, Barry Windham and Steve Austin at seven 30 and Dustin Rhodes at nine 19 Meltzer gave it a dud. Has there ever been a good battle Royal? I mean, I know people talk about the 92 Royal rumble and, but just set aside Royal rumbles, a traditional battle Royal. Do you remember there ever being a great one? No, I'm not a battle Royal fan. Uh, and, and it, the, the, I've, I've refereed too many of them back in the day. And I commentated so many of them over the years that I can't recall seeing a great one. Uh, and it's just a matter. It's just hard. They're hard to, to connect the dots and the storytelling when you got so many moving parts, uh, in, in that. It's like that, that battle Royale Eligante one, you know, you got one of the greatest most athletic big men in, in that era, entire era, maybe, you know, years in the one man gang, one man gang was a phenomenon. Uh, you know, Ernie Ladd discovered him, brought him in to work with cowboy cowboy, put him with Skandar Akbar and they, off they went, but, uh, George gray, AKA the one man gang was amazing talent. And we got a guy, Eligante one, you know why he's tall. That's a good reason to put somebody over. They're tall. Well, you know, it's funny because I was talking to Bruce once about that. Um, the gimmick battle Royal at WrestleMania 17. And he said, she yeah. had to win because we couldn't figure out a way to safely get him out of the ring. And that feels like Eligante. I mean, obviously he's tall and obviously we want to give him a little push, but boy, that would have looked like what's the old Southern phrase, a monkey fucking a football, him going over the top rope here in a battle Royale. Well, that might answer all your enough questions. You can't do a basic move going over the top rope. <laughs> Maybe you ought to reevaluate the long-term uh, plans for this gentleman. Uh, but one man gang would have been a better winner. Sure. You know, Ke Kevin Nash goes on to become a hall of famer. It worked out. Yeah. So again, there's talent there. 
but the creative decisions in using said talent was uh, less than less than good. Uh, no, the match number two is Brian Pillman pinning Brad, uh, bad street, which is Brad Armstrong under hood. They're going to go six minutes and 52 seconds. Brian gets the win with a flying body press. Uh, Meltzer would say this was the first semifinal of the light heavyweight tournament and was the kind of match they need to get the lighter weight division over as something different. But out of this group's entire tournament, this really was the first match that exemplified why the lighter weight division has such a popular niche in Japan because they worked a faster paced style rather than just lighter guys working the same style as the bigger guys. They did a lot of juice and liger spots. The match was mainly one hot move after another with several near falls. Pillman injured his thigh legitimately doing the dive through the ropes and only appeared to favor it momentarily during the match three and three quarter stars. So Brian had been doing the yellow dog gimmick for a few months, but now he's back here as Brian Pillman. And I, I assume if you're going to start a light heavyweight division in 1991, there's probably nobody better to pick than Brian Pillman and what a perfect opponent Brad Armstrong was for him, but it is a different style. Were you a fan of that style of wrestling back in 91? Yeah. All it was Meltzer at the key word is faster paced. Yes. They still did headlocks. They still did hammer locks. They still did drop kicks. They didn't revel. They didn't create and revolutionize any new moves that nobody had ever seen. It was a matter of using it. It's a smaller move set, uh, more flying, more chances, more, more, uh, you know, gymnastics and so forth. But uh, I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't mind because I liked the pace. I liked the pace being somewhat fast. I think in much of today's pro wrestling that the pace is too fast. I I tell young talents this all the time and young talents that maybe listening to this show. And I know there are a lot of wrestlers that listen to our show. We appreciate that. Uh, cause we appreciate what you guys do for our business. Uh, but the, uh, let me find my place here. Uh, I, I just don't know if they're not at times today wrestling too fast. Here's the story. Here's the analogy. If you're a stand up comedian and you're telling a joke, which is what stand up comedians do, by the way. Yep. It's just in, uh, that uh, if you're telling a joke, you sure as hell do not begin your second joke until the laughter of the first joke has subsided. So during the laughter of the first joke, you're right off going to another and to another, another bit, uh, don't work, right? Give the, give the time to, uh, be processed, let it breathe. And uh, yeah, let it breathe, let it, and be, let it be appreciated. So I think today's wrestler sometimes has that they have that issue. I think many of them are too paranoid to worry about their, actually their skill set and how strong their game is that they're going to try to fool us by working faster and faster and faster. So they just blow through all the stuff. And what do you process? I told a kid this the other day at AEW, I said, you know, you do some beautiful things and I really enjoy watching you, uh, wrestle. I said, but you know, I can't appreciate everything you do because you do one then you do another and you do another. And there's no time to breathe as you said, and there's no time to process. So I enjoy the fashion paced stuff. As long as you don't disregard the fundamentals of pro wrestling and eliminate 
selling as an art form. Uh, but Brian, uh, Brian was made for that division until he realized he might be get caught up in the, as old Sean Waltman told me one time, are you paying me by the pound? Uh, and a lot of guys perceived that nobody wanted to be a lot of guys didn't want to ever be the cruiserweight champion or the light heavyweight champion. They didn't want to be saddled with that moniker and that image. Because you're looked at as a preliminary guy, you're never you're never going to be on top of the main in the pay per views. You're going to be opening matches in a lot of places. Uh, so, you know, I didn't I didn't uh, I thought those guys had a good match considering how this card turned turned out. Who would have thought that the first match might have been the most fundamentally sound match of the night? But that is indeed the case. Uh, next up, we've got Sting and Johnny B. Bad with a small package. Sting's going to get the win. Six minutes and 11 seconds. And Meltzer even wrote that he loved Johnny B. Bad's ring entrance. Uh, the first two minutes featured one nice move after another, and it broke down from there. At one point, Sting whipped Bad into the ropes for the Stinger splash, and Bad fell down about 15 feet before he got to the corner. Uh, Finish saw a box brought out to ringside. Bad hit oh, Sting my. with a shot to the ribs and then stared at the box. Then Sting got up and stared at the box. They both stood there like they didn't know what to do trying to get the box over, but ruining any pretense that they cared about an actual wrestling match. Then sting gave bad a sloppy inside cradle for the pin cactus. Jack comes out of the box, knocks over Teddy long blew by Johnny B and attack sting complete with an elbow off the middle rope onto sting. who was on the floor. And then of course a double arm DDT before a few faces come out for the save one star. It's a, uh, it's a legendary story now in our, uh, our podcast, little land here that Bruce Pritchard said once in a meeting, uh, when they were pitching, Hey, what should we do with Terry Funk now that he's coming into the WWF here in 97 or 98 or whatever. Uh, and allegedly Cornette said, have him come out of a box. Anyone who comes out of a box is instantly over. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of this presentation of, of, uh, Mick Foley cactus Jack coming out of a box? Well, we could have done a run in or come out of the crowd or something like that just as easily. It wouldn't have been absurd. Eye rolling. This eye rolling, Conrad. It's the eye rolling creative. And you got to get past that. And while you're getting past that, they're, they're doing things in, in the ring or, or surroundings that you're not documenting with enough passion or enough, you know, forethought. I, my problem with this match started with the finish. Yeah. Sting can't beat Johnny B. Bad with his finish. Are you kidding? So what's the reasoning for that? If you go to the, the wrestling guys for these matches together, tell me your, your reasoning for that. Well, their reasoning is going to be real simple because it's the only story they got to tell. Well, you know, we want to take care of Johnny B. Bad. We think there's something there. There ain't nothing there. There's nothing there. He's a great guy. Uh, and he did have a good entrance, but if that's what you're hanging your hat on, good luck. So, uh, I didn't like the finish. I thought it was weak and uncreative, unmotivated. And it's easy to see that who the star of this match is going to be sting. So, and then they'll say, well, that might be too predictable. Jr. Well, I'm predicting that the goddamn sun comes up tomorrow morning. And at least I hope it does. If it don't, I'm in deep trouble. So yeah. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. So I, I don't know. I just, I didn't like the finish in, uh, of that match. 
I thought it was weak, uncreative, and lazy. How's that? Weak, uncreative, and lazy. Should never come out of the lips of a person involved in creative or production or whatever. We can't have that attitude. And that's and maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong as hell. People may say, oh, I, I thought that match was better than Meltzer thought it was. And, and that's your call. Well, I want to mention too, uh, I think a lot of this creative is from the brain is the brainchild of dusty Rhodes. and dusty Rhodes famously was a big advocate for Johnny B bad and for Oz. Um, and, and he recently came back to the company after, you know, he finished up with Vince at the Royal rumble in 91. So after January he's here, did you feel a shift in creative when dusty came back that now, you know, now that he's back, we've got a you know, acquiesce to some of his different ideas. Well, you got to follow the booker. What the booker's direction is he's calling the plays. Your football team must say, you're going to run the plays. The quarterback calls or the right guard calls or likely the quarterback being facetious. Yeah. So you just try to follow him and hope that he can create some magic and get this thing going. The key was we had to get some people hot. You can't get them hot. As I said earlier, all at once. Look at all. And, and when Dusty was given the mandate, I remember this, you know, I don't know who, who it came from in Turner. There's a lot of white suits, white shirts, blue, blue jackets and red ties there. Their little, uh, uniform, uh, it could have come from a variety of people. Uh, but then when her delivered the information to Dusty here, so we, this is not an option. This is what we have to do. We got to take some of these guys and repackage them and get them hot. Get find us something that fits them. And, well, that's easy to say, but you know, when you got Richard Morton, Ricky Morton's one of the greatest performers ever. He still cannot work. Most guys, he's got a school of Morton there in Tennessee and all that. I, I'm a big Ricky Morton fan. Always have been. I think his kid's going to be pretty good too, Carrie. Uh, uh, he's got the right DNA. That's for sure. Yep. But why would you, why would you disintegrate one of the greatest baby face tag teams of all fucking time? For what reason? Well, it's new. Well, it's different. Well, we want to do something different. Okay. That's a good out. That's your only answer. Isn't it? That's your only answer. And, and we had a proven commodity. So here's the deal. Are you saying to me that getting the rock and roll, some wins on television and shooting an angle with a good team, te- a good tag team that can, can wrestle and you get them into a hot program is a bad idea. You not think the matches are going to be phenomenal. They're always phenomenal. Those guys, but match quality was not as imperative apparently as it was to shock people and to, to repackage. So Dusty basically said, I'll show you guys. I'll repackage the whole goddamn roster. And look at all these names here on this card that we're talking about just thus far that are repackaged, you know, and then the judgment of putting sting on the second match and, and winning by a small package. Yeah. Really? So I can't justify that booking and I can't justify the, the, the how bad the show is. I wish I could have made it better with commentary, but you can't shine shit. Well, they're going to try the next match has Richard Morton. So he's no longer Ricky Morton. Now he's a heel. He's with Alexandra York and he's going to be pinning Mike Graham in the other light heavyweight tournament semifinale. 
Meltzer would say people didn't care at all about Graham and it doesn't help tournament credibility when you've got a guy that nobody has seen on television and yet he's in the semifinals. The wrestling was fine, but there wasn't much heat. It was an old school style match with lots of working and selling holds. The finish saw Graham have Morton pinned while Alexandra York distracted the ref. Morton kicked Graham off and his, uh, his face hit the turnbuckles. And as he falls back, of course, Morton schoolboys him and holds the trunks two stars. That damn schoolboy still getting it done after all this time, Jim. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's a, a workable finish when yep. uh, executed in a timely manner. It's realistic. It's, it's real. You can't, you can't lose. You can, as a shoot, you can get your shoulders pinned in a, with a cradle, uh, obviously. But again, you know, I think Ricky was miscast. He should have been back with Robert Gibson. They should have been the rock and roll. It's not Cornette here. God damn it. Son of a bitch. So I think, uh, that's what I'd have done, but you know, it's too late. It's too late. And I don't know. Maybe it was Robert hurt or something. I don't even know what the deal was there. Maybe it's over money. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's been so long ago, uh, since this occurred, Robert was not hurt. He was on some of those cards that had tickets for 54 cents, but I think he was hurt for a bit. So they tried Ricky as a single, and then they were already sort of committed. Um, we all should have been committed. Yeah. No kidding. Mike Graham. Let's talk about him for a minute. Pretty controversial figure in wrestling. Uh, pretty outspoken, pretty vocal. Uh, he's getting his shot at the big time here. He's on TV and, uh, it just doesn't really click with the audience. Do you think in an alternate universe, Mike Graham could have been a big television star? Maybe in the cruiserweights, light heavyweights in when he was younger. But you got to understand that he got over in his dad's territory with a very objective booking, right? He got some wins. Uh, he had a legacy there. He was Eddie Graham's son. He meant something, just nothing else by his bloodline. That was not the case. Eddie Graham was not a household word to the WCW audience. Unfortunately for, you know, the smart fans and the fans that really study the game knew Eddie's contributions were enormous. He's one of the smartest guys I ever sit and talk with my entire 40 plus year career and still is this very day, but nobody knew it. The guys inside the business knew it. If you're living in Florida, you knew it outside of that you're SOL. So I think that was a problem that uh, Mike had. Mike was fundamentally sound and could put a match together. Uh, but you know, I, it, it was wrong. Wrong place, wrong time, and it was, and, and we didn't do a good job of establishing who Mike was. You said, "Well, he's the, he's the father of the son, excuse me, of the legendary Eddie Graham." And somebody's jumping on Wikipedia to find out who the hell Eddie Graham is. Mm. I mean, what do you think? Do you think the guys watching our show in Portland, Oregon, knew who Eddie Graham was for casual fans? I'd say no. Right. Well, let's talk about what's next on the show. Something totally different. It's a feat of strength with Bill Kazmaier. Um, Meltzer would say this was really an angle for later in the show. Kazmaier bent a thick steel bar, a contrast between WCW and the WWF. If this was WWF, the feat of strength would have been far more visually effective. And it also would have been gimmicked while all the wrestlers backstage know how impressive Kaz was for bending the bar. I don't think anyone at home really had a clue as to what type of strength is needed for that stunt and what kind of power Kaz really has. Anyway, Arn and Larry ran out and smashed a 45 pound plate into his ribs on the right side. 
doing a rib injury gimmick. Arn then did a most muscular pose over the fallen Kaz, uh, which he should have, <laughs> which is pretty great. Uh, no. <laughs> what do you think of this? I mean, this was a legitimate feat of strength. He really did bend it, but I think Meltzer brings up a good point that perhaps in the WWF, they would have uh, done a gimmick that was even more fantastical, but it would have been a TV prop, if you will. Oh yeah. The macho thing, you know, uh, mono and mono comes to play and you know, Cass and, and some of that about half ass ribbon on the square where you could go to Cass bill and say, uh, uh, Hey bill, can we're going to gimmick this bar. So you ain't got to, you know, cause I know it's be hard to do. Oh no, I can do it. Oh no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I can do it. I want a few men in the world can do this. Okay. Well, you sure, you know, so they basically bait him into doing it for real. And, and, uh, he wanted to prove that he was as strong as his publicity said he was, it wasn't well shot. I doubt they had a rehearsal. I doubt they walked through it. And, uh, and that was demonstrated in, in a proof in fact, by how it came off. But as far as just the premise of doing a strongman deal, leading to weakening the strongman before his match, I got, I got the concept, I understood the road we were on, but it just wasn't a very scenic route we were taking. Next up, the Freebirds are going to take on the Patriots, uh, five minutes and 42 seconds. Unfortunately, it's not Tom Brady and Gronkowski instead. Yeah, who, 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 who were they? <laughs> Firebreaker chip. I mean, there you, go. It, you know, it's firebreaker chip and Todd champion of the Patriots. And this is a U.S. tag team title match. Um, the guy Meltzer would say the guys worked hard, but the Patriots are nowhere near ready as workers, let alone that gimmick chip had Jimmy Garvin pinned. Michael Hayes drops the elbow on and puts Jimmy on top behind the ref's back. That's all it is. One star. Uh, the, the free birds have probably seen better days, but what'd you make of Todd champion and firebreaker chip? Uh, the, this free bird was the thing about this free bird team. It didn't include Terry Gordy. Correct. Yes. Correct. Well, there's your, there's one answer about the free birds might've been past their best days. Yeah. You add Terry Gordy to that team and put Michael at ringside and Terry in there with buddy Roberts. You got no concerns. We didn't have that ability because Terry had commitments and he was making a lot of money in Japan, et cetera, et cetera. It's going there frequently. Uh, but it's the same. It's look at the concept. Look at the booking theory. It's not this. This is the second or third time we've seen this wrestler. A has wrestler B pinned. wrestler B gets, uh, uh, somebody gains an unfair advantage behind the referee's back, which is actually a good thing in theory. And. So they, the, the heroes just got their victories taken from them. Same concept all the way, all across the board. You're telling me that the free birds who you're using as an, uh, uh, a, a name identity friendly team that had a lot of, a lot of sizzle at one time, that's they were a baby face team away from getting that sizzle back, even though they're never going to follow the, the Von Eric program. You can't compare the Von Eriks, the firebreaker chip and Todd champion. So these kids should have been happy. They were booked. I'm sure they were, 
go in there and get a little shine, keep the match moving, and then get your ass beat by the three birds finish. The, the, the affinity when you have wrestlers in a committee making a booking, they find a million ways to execute a finish that aren't always the best for the match. They're protect the boys. We're drawing 1800 people for God's sakes. What are we protecting them from? Yeah. What we're doing is not working. See all those empty seats. There's, you know, there's no people there. They're not invisible. They're just not there. So, uh, I didn't understand the logic there, but see what I'm saying? The trend wrestlers involved in the finishes, firebreaker chip and Todd champion didn't come up with the finish. They're young. They're, they're just still learn how to lace their boots and the Freebirds had to be motivated. And so one way you motivate them is you, you get them a strong win and Freebird fashion. At least it rekindles a little bit of their mystique. But the key thing there is you're missing Terry Gordy, big omission. And, uh, and the Freebirds probably tried to give the two young kids more, uh, than needed. They were too generous, maybe, but it was bad psychology. Next up, we get a cactus Jack interview with Paulie dangerously. And what do you know? A box comes out and cactus thinks it's Abdul the butcher, but he opens the box and finds sting. So these two have a good short brawl with cactus, taking a few incredible bumps, a backdrop onto the ramp, a hip toss off the ramp onto the concrete floor. And then of course they're taking turns hitting each other with garbage cans, two boxes in one show. This feels, uh, gimmicky. Yeah. Shortcut lazy. Uh, I, I, how would it have worked if you had sting coming through the, excuse me, uh, Mick Foley coming through the crowd in his initial appearance on this show, doing what they did, getting some good heat on sting and leaving, leaving the hero in a, in a, in a crumpled mess, knowing that he'll never quit though. By God, he'll never quit on you. And then you bring out the box, one box and it sting. Now the box has a little bit of equity, uh, and more equity than, than being the second box that's going to contain your, uh, intended territory's top baby face. But again, that wasn't thought through and you know, it'll work out. Okay. It'll be all right. Let's do that. So that's uh, kind of the general, it was a malaise around that place at that time. And like you said, you know, Meltzer's writing about, well, how much longer can this company stay in business? They got to do something, blah, blah, blah. You think the boys read that, you know, wrestlers read the observer every day. It's uh, been, uh, been in place for God dang, since I was a young guy and I'm not a young guy anymore. Right. You had to agree with that, but I ain't, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't get it, Connie. I didn't understand the. You know, the, again, the logic, it seemed as if this show is being booked by the committee made up of mostly wrestlers or what have you. And they were just trying to get the finishes done and off their hands as quickly, quickly as they could. So complete the assignment of doing the finishes for these two or three matches. And then you're, you're, you're done. And that's, and, and, and the work that resulted from that, it was indicative that this was, you know, all half-assed booked. 
and I, that's and that's what we had here. I, I don't know. I just it's a head scratcher, man. How how this thing was so mismanaged. Next up, Ron Simmons is going to pin the diamond stud in two minutes and twenty five seconds with a shoulder block. Meltzer would say it was short, but hard fought while it lasted. In this case, even though they had no time to do a match, it was best for all concerned to give Simmons as the number one contender, an explosive win star and a quarter. So as a reminder, Kevin Nash's eyes, and he got clotheslined out of the battle Royal by Eligante. And now Ron Simmons is beating Scott Hall in two minutes and 25 seconds. Ron's the number one contender. So I get it. But my goodness, how did we not see more opportunity in Scott Hall here, Jim? I don't know. Sometimes uh, I, I always thought that myself. Scott had a great mind for the business, still does. Uh, I think it might have been at that time lifestyle. Uh, you could look at that perhaps as reliability lifestyle leading into an unreliable, you know, God like to party and have fun. Uh, can you really go with him and all that stuff? Second guessing, second guessing. Uh, so I don't know. I, we got to understand also Conrad at this point in time, he, uh, the only people that knew Scott Hall was his accountant and his family because he wasn't Scott Hall. He was diamond stud. Uh, and he, he didn't have the same meaning, the same feel that he had, uh, NWO Scott Hall and certainly not that he had eventually with the razor Ramon. He became different and those changes actually worked, but, uh, the, we, the diamond stud was again, a repackaged effort and, uh, but there's no reason that Scott Hall could not have been, uh, uh, as somewhat as almost as successful then as he, as he became good worker, big, impressive looking, uh, smart mind for the business. There's no reason at all, except that one little foible. No, is he, is he, uh, is it, or is his, uh, out of ring conduct, what you, what you can, you rely on him and you don't know until you try, but, uh, I, I don't know. I, it is funny to look back at the talent on this card and you see who's winning, who's losing and the times and all that stuff. So, but it was a good thing for Simmons to get a win because they were the, the company had planned on Ron being coming a vital part of the roster as a baby face. Van Hammer is out next. He's going to pin Terrence Taylor in one minute and seven seconds with a knee off the top rope that missed Bob out a foot. Uh, Meltzer says, if I ever had to give a speech about things that are wrong with professional wrestling and had to limit it to 67 seconds, I'd probably just show a videotape of this match. It exemplified most of the problems in wrestling perfectly poor Terry Taylor minus two stars. Van Hammer, uh, has a phenomenal look. An interesting enough gimmick, uh, for the time, 1991, but boy to say he's green is probably, um, been kind. Yeah. Understatement uh, for sure. Was Van Hammer supposed to be the WCW ultimate warrior? I don't know. Conrad. That's a stretch. Maybe I don't hell. I don't know. I, uh, I know he had a good body. But he was a lot leaner. He Warriors had a whole lot different physique, thicker, uh, all that hammers more, more, had more length and he had good definition, but here's the thing. It couldn't work. 
he was green. And, uh, again, he was a new talent. So because he's new, he's going to get the opportunity to go over and maybe get over, uh, Terry Taylor became, uh, was he Terrence Taylor here? Yeah. Doing the Alexandra York gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't dislike that gimmick. No, no, it was pretty cool for 91. Yeah. I liked, uh, Alexander York uh, as the eye candy and the new role and all that stuff. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, but again, people remembered who Terry Taylor was and, you know, Terry needed to get over and Terry said as Terrence Taylor didn't have ample opportunities to quote unquote, get over and build himself some momentum to, to fortify his new persona. Just quick, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. And we see that up down this card. These are all repackaged guys or new guys. Everything in this card so far, every match, every single match had the same deal. So Dusty took to heart that mandate that you will have to get, you're going to have to get these guys over. We're paying a lot of money. I've got a big, got a big payroll. The only way we can keep doing this is that they got to start drawing money and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, he took it to heart. He, he tried, he, he did his best. Unless he, you could look at the other side of the coin. Is he doing this despite the upper management telling him how to handle creative and him not being able to use his own creative ideas. So sometimes bookers get challenged. Like if you're, if you're back in the old days, if you're a booker got hired in new territory as the booker, you had to finish out the storylines that are already in place and then to set your, your trip playbook in the game. And, uh, so. But we didn't have anything, you know, the hottest thing we had left nature boy. So, uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I just, it was just a horrible time to be uh, in the you know, to, to be a fan of what we were doing or trying to do. And it, it was rough. You know, you go to work every day, not knowing that you're gonna get an email, uh, you know, thank you for your support of WCW. We're closing the brand as of blank. And, uh, you'll be contacted by HR to discuss your exit. We, I expected that all the time. So, uh, and I got my notice, so to speak, uh, in a kind of an untimely way, but nonetheless, uh, it was what it was. So I, every match here has got somebody in it was, except the next one had two guys that were kind of the same person, same, their names are the same, their gimmicks are the same. Uh, in Austin and Tom Zink, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but it was just, uh, too much, man. Van Hammer, Van Hammer never got over Conrad. No, never got over. Uh, I made the ultimate warrior comparison because, uh, Arn tells a story that when Van Hammer first came in, he comes in, you know, in his full gimmick in the locker room, jacked, tan, greased up. And says, don't worry guys, I'm here to save the company or some such. And I think a lot of people probably take a look at his look and presentation and think, well, this is, as you would say, all sizzle and very little steak. It feels ultimate warrior esque. Uh, and, and they're giving him a, a win here in a minute and seven seconds. And boy, they're trying to pull out all the stops for him. And if you're going to have a guy who maybe needs a little help looking good in his debut, who better than Terry Taylor, but. My goodness, just a mess all the way around. Yeah. Terry was the chosen one on that, on that night to, to do the honors. Uh, even though Terry was, you know, 10 times the worker that Van Hammer was again, 
focuses on new and focusing on new characters. And by God, well, I'll give you new characters. I'll give you a ton of them, but none of them's going to get the great build. So they're on they're, They have, everyone's already got a self-imposed ceiling. And when you book a talent and you say, well, he's, he, he'll be good in the mid card. Boy, that's bad. That's bad. Well, it's like, you know, you want to, you want guys on TV that you think might get over and that don't mean mid card. Right. So anyway, it was the theme of that. This whole show has been very easy to follow and the DNA the, of this show is easy to designate and to identify. It just was a bad combination of trying to too many new things for the sake of trying new things. And that's not a good reason. Next up, we've got Steve Austin pinning Tom Zink to keep the TV title in nine minutes and seven seconds. Meltzer would say it started slow with Zink mainly working on the left arm. Zink was working with an ankle injury. When Zink did his comeback, he missed a flying body press off the top rope by about a zip code. Uh, finish saw Lady Blossom give Austin a foreign object, and when Austin had Aust- when Zink had Austin up for the back suplex, Austin hit Zink and falls on him for the pin. Star in three quarters. I like that finish. You know, um, when you're going up for the suplex, just punch him and fall on him for the pin. I like that. Uh, Tom Zink's one of those guys who hung around for a long time. And I think Jim Cornette and guys like that have asserted that, Hey, he got more money than everybody else because he looked good and made a bunch of money on potential that never actually was realized. Tom, Tom is, um, no longer with us, but what was your take on Mr. Zink's WCW run? Well, Cornette's pretty accurate. He's a good looking guy. I remember, uh, we had that, uh, we had a week of family feud, uh, with the late Ray Combs as the, uh, MC during that era and sting, uh, Brad Armstrong, Tom Zink, who else was on that? Myself. There's one more. Brian Pillman. Brian. Yeah. Brian. Uh, and you could tell who they kind of wanted to expose. I was there as a babysitter. I wasn't there because of star power, but I was glad to tag along. But I tagged out early the night before because Pillman and Zink were going to go out. And everybody was, you want to go? Well, no, hell no. Are you kidding me? They'll be back in the morning. I don't, I don't need that. So, uh, uh, they, they didn't stop partying. Uh, but we, we, uh, we played the gorgeous ladies of wrestling and I got a break on that deal. Cause my partner I matched up with was Mrs. Uh, Stallone, Jackie Stallone, Sylvester's mother. And, uh, she was a little slow on a draw. So I had an advantage in those face to face or heads up deals. I got my hand raised. Good. That's all that matters. Just getting over. Right. Uh, <laughs> But, but, but those guys are good. Uh, those guys, uh, those, that, that little group right there, you know, the thing about Brad was we talked about this. It's just finding the right gimmick for Brad, the right presentation, because he could work as well as anybody we had on the roster, anybody, uh, then zinc had that look. He looked good as you were discussing good looking kid, movie star looks good physique, uh, you know, pretty fundamentally sound actually. Got good training there in Minnesota. So, uh, and of course, Brian's Brian. Brian was one of a kind. 
So I can understand the, the roster and why, how it was put together. We had a lot of fun on that deal. Got WCW some good positive exposure. We didn't have a minute match. We had a, we, you know, we actually participated in the, with the rules of engagement there and, and won the, won the contest. So anyway, uh, zinc had all the physical tools. Uh, the, I know Barnett loved him. My mom, my God, he's beautiful. Jesus, God almighty, he's beautiful. Uh, so he just didn't connect with the audience. And now you could break everything down to something that simplistic. The audience never got on the Tom Zink bandwagon. And if you're a Tom Zink fan, or if you're the late Tom Zink, you'd probably say, I wasn't given the opportunity. I wasn't given the right push. We know how important that is. We all have to have our push. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, that was Tom's situation. And he, and Tom, Tom was a little bit like we talked about in our Terry Taylor show, which got great uh, feedback, by the way, uh, on the red rooster a couple of weeks ago where it was. Yeah. Uh, I thought, you know, Tom could have some of those Terry Taylor traits of being his own worst enemy. He thought he just by looking, just walking by a mirror and taking a glance, that's enough. I should be on top. And when I wasn't on, when he wasn't on top, uh, it was somebody else's fault. And then he would talk about it. So uh, that was his issue. Sometimes again, you find the talents of their own worst enemy. And he was, maybe that's a good example too. You know, I thought it was certainly applicable for Terry back in the day. And it's, it really worked that way for zinc. Zinc basically destroyed his own career by being challenging and moody difficult to get along with and, uh, just, I don't know if it's just insecurities or something else that we'll never know. You know, I don't even know what caused his death. I had no idea if it was an illness or, uh, you know, whatever. Hell, I don't know anymore. We just credit anything bad that happens in the world to, to COVID. Well, that was pre COVID. He, he died in 2017, but well, I don't know when he died, but the point being, if it happened today, I'm sure it'd be insinuated. It was COVID issues. And until you go back on the road, have you been on the road very much Conrad since uh, COVID's hit? Unfortunately I have, and it's not nearly as fun as I remember. No, we stayed in a major branded hotel in Milwaukee here lately. We were there to do dynamite and, uh, a, uh, a hotel I stayed at for stayed in the, the, the uh, brand for decades, they had, uh, they had no bar. So people say, well, you don't need a bar all the time. Or you don't need to drink. Well, talents like to drink staff members like to drink. It's a meeting place. It's like the student union. So the bar and a TV hotel where the talents are staying, it's kind of like your old student union thing where everybody's there. Some are playing cards, some are drinking, some are laughing, but it's a, it's a, it's a nice place to hang a little, little sanctuary. So they had uh, no bar, they had no lunch, they had no room service, they had no dinner, they had food in the morning, which consisted of uh, some, I identified them as scrambled eggs, so I'm not real sure, and some ugly ass uh, link sausages 
that more looked like a dog turd than oh. it did uh, breakfast meat. So that was, that was all, that was a hundred percent now of what they had to eat. So, uh, and no, and no housekeeping. They're bringing new towels. If you needed them, clean towels, but that's what that's travel today. Every city has its different rules and regulations. Every hotel chain has their own rules and regulations. It's made it challenging. So, uh, but anyhow, it's just a, a different time, different place, different time. That's kind of what we're dealing with now. And it's, it's hard on the talents. You'll see, uh, they better when you get to Chicago for, for the big ad free event, you'll see this. It changes weekly, buddy changes weekly. So, but we all got the same, we're all in the same game. Got to deal with it. Well, we got to deal with this next segment too. They're doing a good job pushing Ron Simmons, showing him in an Atlanta boys club, giving a speech, showing him in the school bus with kids going to the last show at the Omni. They have a clip of an interview with Bobby Bowden, who was uh, Ron's college coach at FSU. And they even have film from the ceremony in Tallahassee where they retired Ron's number at FSU. And Meltzer would say, well, granted it was an awful lot in one felt swoop and would have been more, a lot more effective to show one of these things every other week for two months, rather all at once. It did elevate Ron from one level to the next as a wrestler. And then he started an interview when all of a sudden Harley race and Mr. Hughes come out and Simmons walks off looking for Luger. And that led to the contract signing and Luger makes a remark that when he beats Ron, he still has a job in this organization as a chauffeur. And of course, Ron jumps across the table. They have another pull apart. You know, there's uh, an undertone of this, of, uh, some, some race issue stuff. I don't think you would do something like that these days, but it's not overt, you know, it, but it is questionable. I don't think is, it would happen in 91. Let, let me ask you one th- question. Is it okay to do subtle racism? It's never okay. It, okay. There you go. It's never okay. And it's never, I'm just trying to figure out. And again, context is King. It was a different time. Blah, blah, blah. Do you think dusty was interested in, in sort of pushing the line and getting up to the line because you know, that old what's Eric say controversy creates cash, but uh, you know, there's another way to get there. I think you and yeah. I both agree on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then it, it didn't be down that road. We're going to, you know, this cause for a company in the South, you know, Dusty had always uh, had this uh, way he booked, uh, African-Americans, you know, uh, and oftentimes like Bill Watts, my old mentor, the African-Americans wrestled the African-Americans until they realized that there's money there. If guys are over whether no matter their color, uh, and then Watts started not seeing color. He's that guy. Yeah. And he's that same guy that got probably can because of his, uh, received racist remarks there in Atlanta, but, but nonetheless, and they shouldn't have been made either. I mean, I'm not justifying cowboy cause he's one of my heroes. He messed up. Uh, but he won't admit that today. Someday you may talk to him. You can ask him about, does he have any regrets about his, his, uh, philosophy becoming so public and such a, I don't know that we all realize how sensitive it was. We should have. So, uh, Ron became a somewhat victim of that. He was a victim and, and then stereotyped because of his skin color. And that's ridiculous. 
simply, and as you said, it would not happen today no. at all. Let's get to our main event. The enforcers, which is Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco are going to win the vacated WCW world tag team titles, beating Rick Steiner and Kazmaier in the tournament finale in three minutes and 33 seconds. Meltzer would say, yes, a match to decide the world tag team title. And they give the guys three thirty-three. Rick was in the whole way before tagging Kaz. Kaz had Zabisco up for a press slam when Anderson hit him in the ribs on the left side. And Zabisco fell on him for the pin. Nothing against the enforcers, but the credibility of these tag titles has never been lower. Uh, of course, Kazmar is in this spot due to an injury to Scott Steiner. And it does feel a little bit thrown together, Jim, when you've got two guys in the tournament final that probably shouldn't have been there. I mean, listen, I guess it ends the way it's supposed to with Zabisco and and, and Aaron having the tag straps, but still, if, if Kaz is out and Scott's in this match looks a whole lot different. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It looks a whole lot different. Uh, you don't replace Scott Steiner with Bill Kazmar. No, unless you're doing and, and maybe in weightlifting or something like that, you know, Kazmar's he was, and Bill was a nice guy. He's, Bill had a, a background from Auburn. I know that won't make you too happy, but I think Bill's an Auburn guy. Yeah, he is nice guy. I met him at a, uh, yeah. he did a little feat of strength thing in Montgomery years ago when I was a kid and he pulled, I don't know, like two 18 wheelers with his teeth or something silly. Like yeah, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? Yeah. Oh, he's, and he's, but as you said, he's a very nice guy. Yes. Uh, I saw him, I seen him do commentary on the strongman contest. I seen him compete in the strongman contest on TV when that was a TV event back in the day. So everybody liked bill. It's just the fact that bill didn't have much training and he didn't have much experience. Uh, and again, he's replacing Scott Steiner who arguably was our top two or three guy in the territory. And uh, that's just, you know, that's just not, you, you can't, the only way you're going to make that work is with another Steiner. And there weren't any more. <laughs> there, there was just only two, unfortunately. So I understand the, the logic, but three, three minutes, they did that to protect the other guys because bill was so green. And that's why they did the angle early on, uh, to injure him so that he would be far less than hundred percent when he came in and give the baby faces, the proverbial out, uh, this finish is a lot like the sting finish. We talked about a few moments ago with the suplex and he's up and he gets nailed and falls on him. Same thing here. Easy, creative, lazy, creative, but I, the booking, I can see the defense of the booking because we didn't really have anything else and nobody could foresee or predict Scott Steiner would be injured. And that, that uh, really killed that match. When Scotty got out of it, it, the match went to hell and I'm just surprised that it went, uh, oh, I'm, I'm surprised that it went on last, not much star power to go on last based on what was left to book. So not, not a good, it was just a poorly planned and laid out night. You got one minute finishes, two minute finishes and a big main event for, for a championship. And it goes three minutes and change. Uh, it sounds to me like the show was formatted wrong and it was the two, the time was allotted in wrong places. And, you know, again, uh, it just seems to me, and I might be wrong and it's just oh, cranky today or whatever. God dang, man. I just, I don't see the, 
I don't see how anybody could look at that show and like it. It did a 3.7 rating a 5.9 share. It was viewed in 2.1 million homes. And the rating was the lowest out of the 16 clash specials since 1988. Uh, Meltzer would say still, even though advertisers were promised a 4.5 rating, many in the company were still pleased with the rating. It was up against some heavy competition. There was the MTV music awards, a Jimmy Connors tennis match. You also had uh, Beverly Hills, 90210 and cheers. So everyone assumed going in, it would draw the lowest rating in clash history, most expected worse. Uh, but since 3.7, isn't that far off of 3.9 which is where flair and Eaton did, um, people are pleased or not disappointed. I think, maybe the, I think oh, no, sorry. I think maybe people are relieved. Yeah. That's the right word. Uh, please could be utilized. Of course. I know it's being contradictory or yeah. Yeah. Contrarian, but I think relief that it, it didn't go lower. Uh, so, uh, that, that was the only, if there was a salvation of this whole abortion, then maybe it was the fact that the rating didn't, didn't bottom out. It was, it was decent as a decent rating. And, and if you did the, if we had the opportunity to go back and look at the research, it probably was, uh, as, as other TVS program was running, probably a hell of a good rating for TVS for the, for the, for the, uh, for the, for the station. But, uh, you know, that's just feeling onion back too far. And bottom line was we, we delivered a very poor show that was poorly written that we had allocated at the times were allocated wrongly. It was an attempt to get new guys over and repackage old guys and doing it all at the same time. You know, just think about that. You know, do you think, uh, you know, Terrence Taylor and, uh, and, uh, who do you work with? Uh, Van Hammer. Van Hammer. Okay. Van Hammer should have wrestled somebody. Well, that either was a preliminary guy that he could just gobble up. Mike Graham. He should have wrestled Mike Graham. Well, that would have been all right, <laughs> but it's still Mike Graham's not it might, but you no, know, we didn't have anybody over, over. Right. And there were a lot of new faces on this card. They were there simply because they were new faces. And that's, that was a mandate from TVS. So. They made a, that was one of the first times I recall that they really, and there might've been others. I'm sure they probably were, but it's the first time I can vividly recall getting orders from headquarters about kind of what plays they wanted to run. We want to throw the ball more Conrad. I don't want my tailback carrying the ball 30 times this game. Okay. So you devise, devise a, a game plan where you throw the ball, ball in orders. And, uh. I think Dusty tried to do that to the best of his ability, but there may have been a little spite in that, in that, in that motivation as well. I don't need you guys to tell me how to book a book, a show or to book a television show or to get talents hot. Uh, so that's kind of where that ended. It began and ended. Meltzer would say WCW has organized a steering committee as opposed to a booking committee. The committee is quote, Responsible for discussing with our director of wrestling operations, Dusty Rhodes, the direction of and emphasis on the various WCW money streams and the priority placed on each one. So the committee composed of Jim Crockett, Jim Ross, Dusty Rhodes, Terry Allen, Jim Barnett, and Jim Hurd is there to 
set long-term direction and emphasis, and we'll have weekly meetings. I don't know why this tickles me, but Jim Crockett, Jim Ross, Jim Hurd, Jim Barnett, Owen Magnum and dusty. It's it's four gyms, dusty and Magnum. That just feels like a setup for a joke. I've never seen so many guys named Jim in the same room. <laughs> how, how this is silly, but I got to ask, would you guys just refer to each other by your last name? Because if somebody in that room said, Jim, four heads turn, right? <laughs> yeah, it could, it could have been, I don't remember. It was all, it was a awkward and a somewhat funny way at times, but you're right. It's kind of ironic that that many name, guys named Jim were on the committee. It's unbelievable. I mean, if Jim yeah. Cornette was here, he got five gyms. Now I know he's yeah. not, but still my goodness, look at the gyms. And, and that would have helped by the way, of course, Cornette being there. See, here's the thing. Here's how that should have worked. I think, uh, you, you let the, your steering committee turn in marriages or matches or cards. And you give the director of wrestling operations, dusty Rhodes, all these options. And one of them might spurn a, a idea or a feel, uh, you know, that, that might not be bad type thing, but, uh, that wasn't ever done. It just, it wasn't very well organized and we did meet and then everybody would, everybody would go their separate ways and, uh, you know, Crockett would go back to care Charlotte and Dusty would go home. And, uh, Magna would go home to Carolinas and then Barnett and Heard would commiserate about the meeting. They'd have a private meeting to talk about the meeting. <laughs> then they would rise all, pose all these questions. And so who else is here that's still in the building? I am. That's why I had this purported, uh, Heard's favorite or heard like Jr. Jr. was convenient. It was the right geography. And those that don't know will always go down the road saying, well, you know, Jr. was heard stooge or Jr. That's a good excuse for your fucking failures. I'm still doing this and you're not. So there's something, there must be something there. So consequently, uh, instead of the unity and let's don't discuss this in this private meeting, let's put that on the agenda for next week and discuss with the entire group. Let's have an agenda. Let's propose. You start off proposing, what are we going to do with the title? And what are we going to do to get the title on somebody else that we think might be get hot, i.e. Ron Simmons. And then how do we build that person's image as the champion? Do we have a long-term program? What's our, what's his first big pay-per-view main event? Who's it with? How are we preparing that person? But those things never happened. And of course, again, too many cooks in the kitchen. Well, when I'm in the kitchen, I'm going to jrsbbq.com. Uh, I tweeted a picture out the other day. We've been rocking that all purpose seasoning left and right. I feel like if you're firing up the grill, uh, there's never a bad time to break out JR's all purpose seasoning, but Megan has shown me the error of my ways. She started to put it on other stuff. She put it on tomatoes. She put it on potatoes. She put it on eggs. Yeah. Uh, your seasoning dude is a home run and it's back in stock and it's bigger than ever. Right? Yeah. It's doing well. Thank you for the compliments, bringing it up. Uh, 
Uh, we've talked about all the various ways that people use our all-purpose seasoning. You know, it started out being a one-dimensional product, being basically a rub. The old rub you put on your protein on the grill, steaks, ribs, chicken, all those things. And then uh, I started branching out and using other stuff. I found out on I like pan-fried potatoes with a purple onion cut up in them or a Vidalia. And I, it, if nothing else, it makes my little place smell good. Fried fried potatoes and onions. And so I realized that putting that seasoning on them made a different deal. Ray, it, the game changed. You know, I've I mentioned this before. My lovely little granddaughters used it on popcorn, uh, for example. Uh, I, I If I scramble eggs uh, and I'm going to jack them up a little bit, seasoning is always right there. So it has a lot of use. Uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, we do have a new manufacturer. We've changed the recipe just a little bit. It's getting great reviews. People like it better than the very, very first one we did. So, uh, and we got a bigger size bottle for those that use it a lot like yourself, which I appreciate. So uh, still our JR's original barbecue sauce that, that mom and Jan uh, really refined is our number one seller. But the mustard is not too far behind. Uh, honey, the jalapeno honey mustard and it's got a, it's a great high quality, uh, honey mustard with a little personality to it called jalapeno. It's really good and healthy. So, uh, you know, we're, we're doing the chipotle ketchup is a favorite for some people. I use it as a steak sauce. I make my meatloaf with it. I didn't sound quite right. Did it? <laughs> uh, but in, in any event, the, uh, uh, products are doing good. And for, you know, guys like you and I, who like to eat and we'd like to cook, we'd like to entertain, you know, that's why I miss about being in Oklahoma more. I got that big outdoor kitchen and I got all my buddies over and TV's there, the pool's there. Oh, it's all set up. <laughs> Unfortunately here in uh, Jacksonville, where I am now, uh, as we record this, uh, you know, they're just, you can't have a grill. So I make do, I create, I you know, go to plan B sometimes. But if you have the right seasoning, you can compensate for not being on the grill to some degree. It doesn't replace being on the grill, but you know, they got pans out now. They've got little ridges in it. It gives you grill marks and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm not complaining. You can tell I'm not missing any meals. So it's all good, buddy. All good. So JR's BBQ.com. And the one thing that I do pride myself in is our fact that our, our little operation ran by Stephen link, we ship quickly. Uh, we already got your money. So it's not because we're shipping because we, we, we finally could get paid now when it's shipped. Uh, we want to make you happy. And I think that's a lot of people have been putting that on, on social media. I ordered on Monday and I had it on Wednesday or Thursday. Depends on where you live and we've got to get the U S mail to help us out. So all works out. So it's good, man. Business has been good too. And, and uh, we still got our sign books there and all that stuff. Slobberknocker and under the black hat. So it's all good. And then, you know, uh, getting ready for like this weekend, major, it's a key moment. This is a, this is probably the most significant week in AEW history. I agree. Uh, three live shows, you know, uh, as we are recording this and I'm getting ready to fly to, uh, to Pittsburgh, that'd be a good deal. 
Where's JR? Oh, he's like old bastard forgot where he's going. He's in Pittsburgh. He can't even remember the name of our company. He thinks Kenny Omega is a WWE champion. Oh, you know. See you next week on WWE Dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in, in anyway, the the it's just a I think it's just a crucial week, and uh, I'm I'm uh, I hope everybody understands that and rises to the occasion. This is game week, man. This is game week. And our big game is Sunday night on pay-per-view. Uh, but man, uh, leading into it, the shows that we're doing live in Chicago, probably leading into the pay-per-view are just as important because that's what you, that's a, that's your infomercial. You're selling, 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 and giving people a reason to buy and spend their money on the show, which I think was going to deliver like crazy, you know, when CM Punk called out Darby Allen, I have to tell you, I was a little shocked. I didn't see that one coming, Conrad. Really? No, no I didn't. Well, you got two baby faces, right? And you got one's returning after seven years plus, and the other young cat is uh, on fire. Darby's one of our fastest growing homegrown stars. Somebody's got to go down, and I I just love the kind of the mystique of that match. I think Christian and, uh, Kenny Omega, because all they've heard is the CM punk got the big road warrior pop and this, that, and the other, and the TV ratings have been amazing and pumps the it guy. And he is right now, no doubt. Uh, I think they're going to take this personally and, and work their ass off. They're going to put on a show. Yeah. Not that they didn't work. They had worked their ass off before. <laughs> but, uh, I think they're going to put out extra effort to tell a mate, an amazing story, but you know, then you got a cage match, you know, Lucha, you know, a cage match is going to be uh, amazing with those guys that are in it. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm pumped. I'm, uh, I'm pumped about it. The whole show is going to be good. I just wonder sometimes how many announcers will have out there, maybe eight. Uh, I was teasing Tony. We, we did the podcast movement thing last month in Nashville and, uh, Tony came and sat down and I held up one finger and then two and then three and then four. And I said, four announcers for an hour show. Cause it had just been announced the night before. And of course, Tony in typical Tony fashion says, fuck you, Conrad Thompson. So <laughs> listen, we're having a lot of fun here. Uh, talking about AEW this week. We hope you guys will check it out. Uh, if you're listening early and ad free, we hope you're watching dynamite. Uh, of course you get all of our shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. But tomorrow night is rampage. And then of course it is a Sunday pay-per-view, not a Saturday pay-per-view Sunday night is all out, uh, from the now arena, just outside of Chicago, probably the wrestling capital of America. And, uh, man, what a card CM Punk is back too, by the way, but we'll be back next week to talk about the SmackDown after nine 11 in two weeks. We'll be talking all things, Gerald Briscoe in three weeks. We'll hit up unforgiven 2001, and then we'll do a very special raw watch along from 1996 to finish out the month of September. Uh, he is at JR's BBQ. Check out his fabulous sauces and the unbelievable all purpose seasoning at JR's don't forget to hear Jim's old radio show studio sessions over at adfreeshows.com. They come out each and every Friday 
and, uh, we'll see you next week, Jim. This was fun, man. Thanks for the time today. You bet Conrad. Always good to talk to you. And of course, uh, we appreciate Conrad and I both appreciate your business folks. Absolutely. We really do. We're grateful, uh, that you've made us part of your listing or your entertainment, uh, family. Uh, we're not going to let you down ever. You don't see us missing a week. The show's not late. We're here for you and we're going to stay here for you. So, uh, we really appreciate it. This is a, I've always found these shows to be very cathartic and I hope the fans enjoy how we break them down where you find a trend. We, we, have, we had a trend today on the show, how it was booked, right? I mean, yep. if identifying it, it followed a trail, it followed a trail that ended in a three minute, 33 second main event. Uh, so hello, not crazy, but in any event, we appreciate you listening and, and, uh, your feedback is imperative and we appreciate that as well. So, uh, I just can't say how grateful I am to be affiliated with the ad free network folks. I don't understand this. If you're a real wrestling fan, if you're listening to this show, by God, you're a real wrestling fan. Yes, sir. You're a pro wrestling fan. And there's nothing in the world wrong with that. Uh, you know, I've overcome bad marriages that, that didn't like pro wrestling. Well, you, you know, it's not going to work out for us long-term because this is what I do and I'm committed to it and I believe in it. Uh, but man, oh man, uh, the, the, the things we get to talk about here and all that stuff, I'm just very grateful that I find it very cathartic. Today's show is cathartic to me. I still have the same opinion of the show. I didn't like it, but at least we identified why it didn't work. And how, if you're booking a show, some things you need to avoid. And, uh, so anyway, I'm babbling here, but I, I really is. I, I, I wasn't crazy about doing this show, uh, cause I didn't know the topic would be good enough. Cause I didn't have good memories of it. Right. That's all. But like so many other times that you booked a match or booked a match, booked a card <laughs> <coughs> or a topic, uh, we overachieved. It gave me better than I thought it was going to be. So that's one of the magics of the show. And we're going to try to maintain the magic. And for those of you that are going to be in Chicago this weekend, uh, you know, follow adfreeshows.com and you'll find where to find me because I'm not exactly sure, but I think I got a little something, something to do on Saturday afternoon. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm forsaking going to the Cubs game. Uh, I believe it's the Cubs game to go to, to do this a bit. And, uh, but it's going to be, I'll trade it off. I'll go to another Cubs game some other time. This is one of those once in a lifetime op opportunities by and large cause of talents. You know, you find out where our mortality isn't, uh, established. It's not firm. It's just day to day. Yeah. And, and so, Jim, we got something so special. We can't even promote it. That's, that's scary. <laughs> that's scary. And we're actually going to have an audience there. We're going to do what we're going to do. So. And I promise you this folks, I'll leave you with this. Me saying that probably relieves some of you. What's he going to shut up? Uh, we're going, it will be one of the most talked about scenarios of the entire, uh, ad free shows weekend. Yes. And what's it mean? Oh, and then, it, then all your lovely, uh, what do you call it? Innuendo and rumor and innuendo. Yeah, rumor yeah. and innuendo. Yeah, I'm sorry. You got your own words. You got your own buzzwords, your own gimmicks. Uh, it will be uh, much discussed. And what did that mean? It meant we entertained the shit out of you for a yes, couple sir. of hours. 
Yes, sir. And then we went on about our business. So anyway, I'm looking forward to everything this weekend and, uh, I'm pumped, man. Let's get it going. And we'll see you next week right here on grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Have a good week, everybody. See you in Chicago. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.